John and I, like, we've, we've known each other for a few years now. And it just, like, yeah. and it's just, I always like to talk about how we kind of, like, met because, uh, you know, you live in Germany. Uh, yes, but you're originally correct. from Cincinnati. And we had yep. been talking to you to be on, on our live stream. And uh, you said, you know, because of the time difference, it was really hard to make time for it. But you said, you know, for the holidays, I'm going to be in uh, oh, yeah. in the U.S. And uh, we could probably do it then. And then I said, okay. And then I said, <laughs> and he said, I'm going to be in Cincinnati because that's that's where I'm from. <laughs> and then it turned out like that's where I was, where I live. And, exactly. Uh, well, like that's like how you found just, out that that he is from there, and that's where he was going to be. Yes. Exactly. I see. So instead of doing a live stream, you know, on uh, just like having him on like Discord or Skype or whatever, it, uh, he just came over. <laughs> exactly. I crashed your place, mm-hmm. and I was at the old house. That was up, at the old up house. in the attic with that crazy setup up there. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty wild. That yeah, I had to like carry all the way down took it you know it took like two weeks to move out of that house and it was such a delay though between my i had a visit in 2019 into 2020 and then the pandemic hit and i didn't return until last summer which sucked but yeah we are hopefully planning to get over there again i think this spring perhaps that's awesome sometime in april so oh cool so like actually pretty visiting the natty once again nasty natty yeah i'm ready so Um, uh, a topic we've been talking about a lot on the show lately uh i'm sure people out there will be (laughs) thrilled that i'm bringing this up yet again uh john what uh what's your what's your stance on mini discs oh mini discs freaking rule dude i love them i i love miniature optical media yeah like i'm also a big fan of the umd which came later yeah but uh the mini discs I didn't use them that long, but I always found them fascinating. And a friend of mine got me into it back in like 2003 and I had a few of them. And then it was kind of uh, when I lived in Tokyo for a year, 2005, they were actually still pretty popular there. Yeah. And I used one for a while uh, until that fall when I bought my first iPod and I was just like, well, you know, it was kind of <laughs> over for the mini disc at that point because it was just easier right like to throw mp3s on a device but yeah the actual there there is something really cool about mini discs and uh i I was amazed at how slim those players could get right like they they were very thin you get a nice md player with a inline remote on there and it's a it's a great looking little thing yeah i still (laughs) have an old one so it's it's uh quite a bit quite a bit bigger but what go ahead Oh, do you do either of you actually have the hi-fi mini disc players, like the the full-on component for the the audio rack? Well, I have those. Yeah, that's we both do. He, in fact, Corey there has oh. got a he has a combo deck, so it's got it's a CD player and a mini disc uh, in one component, which makes it easier, I suppose. <clears throat> and oh, it has optical in, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, well, that's cool as heck. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to bring up. I. It, that you know, I got so my my player has an optical in on the back, and it also has a second optical in on the front, which is just convenient thing. Oh, that's super but, handy. But I found I was digging through my stuff, and uh, I, when I first started my YouTube show, like the two things that I had to buy, well, three things: I had to buy a microphone because I didn't have a microphone. I had to buy a mixer to plug the microphone into, and then I had to buy some kind of USB audio interface. And I bought this little Behringer. Like, it's not even as big as a deck of cards and just has, like, a USB cable hanging off of it. 
And I literally just oh. use that to plug my mixer into my computer because my mixer doesn't have USB. And I haven't used that thing in like years, so it's just in like a box of stuff I don't use. And I went and dug it out the other day, and I I didn't realize because I never used it that it has an optical out on it. <laughs> and uh, oh. so I plugged it into my MacBook, and so now I can go on Tidal and I can stream like high res music uh, over the optical cable uh, to my to my mini disc player, but or to re- the recorder. Uh, to make discs. But, you know, it's funny because I was reading about, or not reading, but I was watching, like, some YouTube videos about, you know, various ways to, you know, get uh, optical out of a, a computer that doesn't have an optical out. And, you know, so you end up watching, like, these videos that are made by these, like, kind of audiophile weirdos who, you know, it's like, okay, I have, like, eight different devices that are, like, USB to optical, like, digital to digital uh, converters. And, you know, I watched this one video where it's like, oh, I got this thing that was only like 100 bucks, and then here's this other thing that's on the other end that's mm. like 1500 bucks. And he even admits <laughs> right off the bat, you know, it's like, well, all of these are going to give you, uh, you know, a bit-perfect data stream off of your computer, you know. But, and then tries to tell you all these ways in which they're actually not the same. You know, well, this oh one gives God. you, you know, a better separation and a more expansive sound stage, And it's like, <laughs> it's all such BS. You know, and so it'll, it'll be noisier, you know, and so I just like plugged it yeah. into my computer and I turned the volume on my amp up like all the way. See, OK, is there any noise? There's no noise. <laughs> That's really interesting. So, I mean, for me, I, the way I did it was actually uh, I had a portable mini disc player. I never had like an actual deck. Right. Yeah. It was a slimline Sony model. And the way I managed to get audio into it was I had. I had a big laptop back then, but also a desktop, but I actually had a USB sound blaster. So it was a sound blaster, (laughs) something or other, that was a little box, an external box that would go into your PC with USB, but that actually had optical out on it in addition to the typical stereo and, and mini jack or whatever outputs. So I would run the optical out from that into this little, I think it was like a little dock or something. You could put the, the mini disc player in and you could record directly to that yeah. from there. So I was actually using it. That was the way I was getting MP3s and like other sound <laughs> files onto it. So I was not doing the highest quality rips here, right? It was just like, well, I want to get music onto this thing. Yeah. And how can I do this? And that's the way I did it. <laughs> well, I mean, looking it back works. on it, you know, it's it's an, it's analog audio on there. So it's not going to be perfect anyways. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's like a laser disc, man. It's uh, a <laughs> yeah, know, it's it's, anal- the, it's the audio equivalent <laughs> yeah. of labor, laser disc. I mean, I think I'm, I mostly set it up the way I did because otherwise you're going from like I said, you're going from digital to analog, back to digital, back to analog, and it's like this way. I agree. It's just cleaner. Like I know that you're not getting you CD tried... quality audio on a mini disc. Like I'm aware of that, but I just <laughs> have you tried ripping vinyl to it. Uh, I haven't yet. I don't have my my, my turntable do is like downstairs and the mini disc things upstairs. <clears throat> I'd but... like to I'd like to hear what that sounds like in the end. Hmm. I, I could I could do it with my with my setup. It goes into it because mine has like you know cool. typically has analog audio in as well. And I actually set it up so that uh, how am I getting audio? Like I can get audio. Well, I can send optical from my computer into it as well. So if I wanted to get like music from any game or anything like that. I would just like run it into my capture device and then like listen to the device and then well, you know record it into there. Tell tell them about the Mister and using the Chud files. <laughs> oh, what's this? Well, this is like a big thing that that Try and I talked about. Uh, 
where you can use like the CHD, com- like the compressed format that the Mister uses, or and also like like RetroPies use also. Um, so you can you can rip like an, an audio CD as like a dot bin and queue. And you sure. can use that to create a CHD file. So if you just like did it with a music CD, you could like load it in there, and then you can play it through like the Sega CD core. You oh, can load that disc that. into it, and then just play the music if you wanted to. Okay. And, so you and can use your Mister as, like as like a music, you know, jukebox if you wanted. To. That'd be pretty <laughs> cool. But no one's doing that, dude. <laughs> it's like Think- so many layers to like essentially do something that is like normally really easy. That that is that is easy to do like any other way. Like, how can we make it more complicated? And it's it's funny to think about it like that. Yeah, I've thinking of Mister. I I recently completely rewired and and set up an entire. Now I have like four different CRT setups throughout the house, <laughs> and I just did this one up in a loft area with uh two EVM twenty L fours, one in Tate mode for vertical. <laughs> action and then the other one uh in in uh the normal position and Mm -hmm. uh i use a laser disc player to brace the one and then a nuon player (laughs) to brace the other so that they come out to be the same height so i can have a shelf (laughs) across the top i have the mister up there i actually use the mister multi-system uh which is a really nice package for that Mm -hmm. and uh, i also have a little table next to it where i can use arcade pcbs with the you know so that's oh. uh, that's that's pretty useful. But yeah, I got a super gun set up over there, and the power <laughs> supply for that, and there's enough space you can just slide an arcade board in there, and you're good to go. And then uh, I'm using like DB15 extender cables with the. Uh, so far, I've been mainly using Neo Geo CD game pads for the arcade setup because they're oh, just cool. small, nice, comfortable, mm-hmm. and you know they they won't support everything. It, you know, if you have stuff with the kick harness requirement, for instance, I do need to use another controller because Neo Geo doesn't have enough buttons but I mostly you know use it for Sunset Riders right now but I have a couple <laughs> others but the I... uh, the Mr. thing today <laughs> I finally got the the X68000 core working on mm-hmm. uh, the 15 kilohertz EVMs oh. and it took a lot of like very custom work in the Mr.ini to pull it off oh. but it actually works flawlessly now really uh, even the high res stuff displays really well and i think it really from what i understand this only works on some crts and pro Mm -hmm. monitors or fall into that spec but i think it would probably not work on like a consumer set given that they'd probably fall out of range but yeah uh i've been testing a bunch of stuff on there and just amazed by the sound quality coming out of that thing. oh yeah just the music in x68k games is unbelievable Mm -hmm. and uh so yeah, that setup's been getting a lot of use out there, especially now that I got that work. <laughs> and it's nice to play games in like different places in, in the house if you have the ability to do that. So yeah, that's an interesting thing. That, that's something I really focused on this year was setting up little stations all over the house. And it sounds crazy. And if I if I think about it now, so I have one in the living room where I have a plasma, Pioneer plasma, and I have an Xbox Series S down there uh, and a cup, an, another spot to swap in anything I need uh, systems-wise. And then in my main room, obviously, I have the OLED setup back there. I have my main BVM setup here. And then my PC setup here. And then on the wall next to my desk, since I moved my desk, I put in like a little wall desk there, like a shelf kind of thing. And I mounted that little OLED panel directly to the wall. <laughs> so 
though. I can plug it in anything I need there, and I can also use a laptop on that little table. So it's an extra setup. And then I got the <laughs> upstairs one in the loft, and then in the guest room, I have two CRTs back-to-back -back <laughs> set up in there. And one of them I use as my composite station, if I'm, like, hankering to play stuff in composite. It's like, oh, what's this like again, you know? <laughs> like PC Engine and, and Famicom yeah. and stuff like that, where it's like... You know, it looks different, right? So I use a twin Famicom with uh, AV out and then uh, the just a regular old PC engine. And it's it's crazy to have all these setups, but I mean, you guys know. I see, yeah. I see what's behind you there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always envious of Chris's uh, uh, arcade setup back there. His, That's his, pretty uh, rad. I wish I had room for that. So he has a Mr. Arcade in it. And there's like something cool oh, about man, playing. That's, that's so like, awesome. Like console games, like the the thing that made me think about it, like the first time, is like him showing uh or putting like NHL hockey on there, and it's like the, the idea of playing NHL hockey on an arcade cab is kind of kind of a neat That's... and fun idea, I think. The, thinking of that though, Chris, how do you handle Tate stuff? Uh, I just don't. I mean, I, if I <laughs> okay. really wanted to, like you know, you can rotate the monitor and that thing, but it's it, right. it, it takes two people. Oh, so it's so, okay. Yeah, I've seen some of those setups have like the the rotatable monitor that can mm -hmm. be done by one person with like yeah, a whole like system the, inside. Uh, Taito Egret twos have like a yeah. There's, a system there's freaking that, things. They're cool as heck. But, that's why they're yeah. so expensive. Even compared <laughs> exactly, to other exactly cabinets. But yeah, rotating it, I guess, manually like that is not so easy, is it? It's not. I mean, it's not too bad. It's just like the monitor is hanging on like four bolts, and so you just have to right, like but, take the bezel off and lift the monitor and and turn it and put it back in. But like if I do that. Then I'm limited to only playing like a few. All right. Games, so how about so. this then? What All if right. you had two arcade cabinets, one vertical, <laughs> yeah. well, that's one horizontal, yeah. and you split the signal so that your Mister's running on both? Yeah. All the I think time. there's a version that of the Mister Arcade coming out that goes to two. Because that's like basically what I'm doing with my CRT setup upstairs. It's having the two monitors side by side, <laughs> daisy chained together. And if you had two arcade cabinets, I mean, that would be like <laughs> the ultimate kind of setup right there. Yeah. Extreme luxury though. Yes. Uh, I mean, I got very lucky. I got that arcade cabinet for a very good price, and I don't think I'm going to get that kind of deal uh, ever again. But I also like <laughs> I have to make some tough decisions about getting rid of some other stuff if I wanted to slide another arcade cabinet in there. Oh, yeah, I got yeah. All my, no, I understand. I got all my old computers over there. So, um, you know, your, your this, tandies, right? Uh, well, there's some, there's some tandies and some other things. Oh, you got there. some tandies. Oh, yeah, I got two oh, Tandy yeah. 1000s uh, right there and right there, but. We got uh, a couple old Apple IIs back there, and a Amiga 500, and a, a I love Mac that Tandy Classic. sound. Yeah, dude, Tandys are for playing. I, I did a video about. Uh, well, I've actually done a video about both of those, but uh, you know, basically the gist of it was, I think if you if you're trying to play PC games from sort of before the the VGA era, you know, so like more 80s, not so much 90s. I think uh, Tandy 1000 is like the best computer to use. Yeah, I uh, my first PC back in the day was an IBM 8086. Yeah. So it was an IBM Personal System 2, and it was fine for DOS stuff, but of course it had no actual sound capabilities aside from the PC speaker, which, frankly, <laughs> not great. Just that little right? thing. I remember seeing a Tandy 1000 at Radio Shack and being like, whoa, that sound, that's that's pretty, that's rad. And you'd always see Tandy, Tandy uh, sound in the options menus for setting up games. Yep. Just a T right, like it was yeah. just always in there, and you're like, hmm. Yeah, the Tandy course, graphics mode. I, exactly the Tandy yeah. graphics mode, of course. Yeah, that was good as well. 
Yeah. The IBM uh, Personal System 2, though, had MCGA, which have you, are you guys familiar with MCGA? <laughs> Multicolor no. graphics array. It's this weird side thing that IBM developed for some specific, it was an IBM specific thing, and it was essentially like uh, a stripped down version of VGA. So you could do 320 by 200 with 256 colors, and then it had some high res modes as well. But it was not widely supported because it was an IBM specific thing. But as a kid, I didn't actually, I knew about EGA, CGA, and VGA. That first PC did not support, it only supported CGA or MCGA, but I didn't know about MCGA until I bought a specific game. And I tried that mode, and the first time I saw 256 colors in that thing, I was, I went nuts. I was just like, are you kidding me? How, how is this possible? Yeah, I, might, I might be misremembering, but uh, I thought I thought it was the case that IBM had like uh, contracted with Sierra to make uh, mm. like versions of like King's Quest and whatnot. They they for did. those computers to like show off the, the. I think that was for the PC Junior. Oh possibly. yeah, I think you might be right. And that did not support M MCGA. That that was a later. That's, MCGA is a really weird thing because it was for their budget PCs, and oh. then the more expensive <laughs> ones had proper VGA. Yeah. So it, it was not well supported. I think it came after EGA, but it wasn't it was not backwards compatible with EGA, which was stupid. Yeah. Like so PC graphics stuff back then, the wild time. Yeah. Uh and you know, Chris since this is your about... first time on the show, John, you probably don't know yeah. this, but uh okay. you're listening to episode eighteen of Here's My <laughs> wow. Question for You. Eighteen. It's old enough to vote in some places. No longer <laughs> old enough, however to buy cigarettes in the state of California. <laughs> mm. yeah. Wait, did they change the they changed the cigarette? Yeah, you age? have to be you have to be 21 now to buy cigarettes here. You know, in Kentucky you have to be 12. I was going to say 12, I, yeah. <laughs> No, not really, but I would but if it that may was, as well be. I was I wouldn't have been surprised. No offense to the Kentuckians out there, but It's just it's interesting because they're going through this uh like this smoking ban like in northern Kentucky right now. And, you know, it's the same thing that I experienced, like, when I was uh, of age of drinking. And that's they, they enacted the smoking ban when I was, I think, like, 21 or 22 in New York State. And everyone's like, oh, you know, like, it's going to kill the bars and all these places are going to just, like, and it never does. And they're no, saying that same does. thing here. Yeah. It, like, it never does. Yeah, I mean, we, had, we went through the same thing here because I think that happened around the time I was maybe... 20 or 21 years old when they mm -hmm. they banned smoking in bars and restaurants Wait, and they were making the I'm, exact same uh, arguments like oh they're going to kill all the bars and like you know we all just what, started what, going outside and smoking there instead what Sorry. does the smoking ban entail Corey? because i it's just, it's just smoking cincinnati inside. had but cincinnati already had this so oh cincinnati does i'm talking about okay like so it's just northern, northern kentucky. kentucky well just just, just kentucky i think in general kentucky in general i didn't actually yeah. realize that I, I, for some reason, I just assumed they both. Had oh that. no! That's, I mean, it's wild. Like previously, until like I guess recently, it was uh, based on like whether the place like wanted to allow smoking inside. And a lot of restaurants don't, but there right. is definitely some diners and stuff in like bowling so, alleys. That you can still it's smoke. It's interesting inside here. you mention that because here in Germany, uh, there is no smoking allowed in most establishments, but it is possible to apply for a specific like permit to allow oh. smoking in your facility. Uh, which it's pretty rare, but like uh, a few weeks ago, some friends and I were looking for a cafe to visit, and we was like, "Oh, here's one." 
we went on in and it was like, oh, it's not too crowded. But instantly you're like getting a face full of smoke. Yeah. And it was intense. Like all the smokers went there. Yeah. And it's just, it's one of the few places that I've ever seen here that actually allows indoor smoking. It's, but it is possible. To, to yeah, for sure. know, have it be like equivalent, I guess, of a like a liquor liquor license. Exactly. It's like if you smoke and you want to smoke inside, you find a place like that, and that's where you hang out, right? Like, th- yeah, that works. So, I think the only other place I can, or the last place I guess that I can think of here where you were allowed to smoke inside was literally at smoke shops. Like if you went to like yeah. A, oh, yeah. a store where you could buy like cigars and pipe tobacco, mm-hmm. and it was funny because there was a mall that I used to go to fairly regularly. Uh, over here in Sacramento, that it was literally right next to uh, EB Games or GameStop, whichever, right next to it was a smoke shop. And you could smoke in there, but, like, there was constantly smoke just, like, wafting out of the front door. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It was was probably EB Games at the time. Man, I I miss... I can't remember, because that mall had both. I think that was the EB Games, and I think the GameStop was, like, on the other side of the mall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what yeah. was the what was the progression of of GameStop buying up everybody? Was was GameStop and Babbage's like the same company at first, or was it GameStop and Software et cetera, et cetera? I hope I mean, you're I asking like they, John because I don't know. I can't remember the exact. I do remember that uh, EB hung on longer before yeah. they were absorbed by GameStop. But I feel like Babbage's must have in one mall near my house there was an eb games and a babbage's in the same okay. mall and the babbage's had been there much longer and then eventually the babbage's turned to gamestop but here's the thing there was also already a gamestop across the street so there was like a <laughs> two GameStops and an eb games in the same place and then once they acquired eb games they closed one of them and then in the mall so there was one in the mall and then one across the street outside in a strip mall <laughs> uh and i frequented those quite a bit i would say yeah, but I think EB is the the one that lasted the longest after that. But I miss some of those early places. Oh man, there's also like Funko Land, I guess, and then before yeah. that there was Video Game Exchange around us, which is where I picked up some choice Game Boy titles back in the day. <laughs> it was always good. Funko Land was the first one that we got because I remember I, uh, they sent out like just I think I guess to everybody. Uh, one day I got in the mail, I got some kind of flyer from Funko Land. Oh, we're opening a store in your town. and But it, ha- yeah. it had like a full price list in it. Yes, exactly. I, we had the same thing at our Funko Land that when it opened, it was the big price list. Yeah. And Fu- Funko Land single-handedly uh, helped me build my Sega Saturn collection, my U.S. collection <laughs> anyway. And I have so many complete in-box Saturn games that I got from uh, Funko Land, actually. And they were always dirt cheap. And I think yeah. I've told this before, but the craziest deals that I got was like, I think it was um, Albert Odyssey and a couple others, like working designs games where like they just had the disc in the shop. And then I was like, well, can I, you don't have the box. And actually we just, we were just throwing out our Saturn cases because they take <laughs> up too much space. If you want to go out to the dumpster and take a look. <laughs> so I did. And I got a ton of like Saturn cases manuals and books so and then you just find copies the car, like the from seat, the dun- from the dumpster so i'm pulling out working designs games from a dumpster in the back of <laughs> a, a funko land and yeah i still got those copies that's crazy <laughs> that's great that's I mean, what saturn was worth back then nobody cared but i loved it like the craziest story that i've ever heard uh was a friend of mine 
told me about how he found a cop a Saturn copy of uh, of Mega Man Eight in a trash can in New York City. Oh, it, just like he was <laughs> randomly walking down the street and it was just sitting yes. in the trash, or that's yes, yeah. All that, right. that's that is what happened. According wow. according I, to him, yeah. Yeah, I don't have any stories like that, unfortunately. <laughs> Nothing like share. that. No. But were any of you guys a member of the Funko Land Dream Team? The Sega for Sega Dreamcast? Uh, I pre ordered mine no. from that and they, they give you like a shirt and a membership card. <laughs> do you still oh, have I, it? Do you have those? Yes, I do. Oh yeah. You, the, did that get you anything, out? the membership? Like did you get like, you know, ten percent uh, off Dreamcast kind of, games or anything? It might have been some kind of discount thing. I actually can't recall exactly what it was, but there was definitely something it was just literally because I pre-ordered the system. Wow. And prior to launch, I used to hang out up at that store playing on the Dreamcast demo kiosks. They had one set up on, you remember those Samsung GX TVs with the oh, giant yeah. fold-out course, speakers? Yeah. So, you know, I'd sit on that thing and, and play some Dreamcast games prior to launch. And it, it got some attention. I remember people walking in and, and seeing the Dreamcast and being like, whoa. <laughs> playing ready to rumble boxing on there and some guy comes yeah. in and he's just like freaking out oh my god he waving he waving look at him it's like a real boxing match <laughs> you know he's going nuts he he loved it like these it was uh it made a strong impression on people at the time but then you'd For always sure. have the guy walk in and be like dreamcast it's, it's just gonna be discontinued like <laughs> sega sucks man this playstation's gonna and they were actually right but you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was but pretty anti Dreamcast though when it came really? out. Really, just a lot of people were only because I it was like I was a PlayStation fanboy. Like PlayStation is what got me back into playing video games, and so like I was oh, wow. okay. I was in love with my PlayStation, and like I remember I saw the Dreamcast coming out, and I was like ah whatever. And then I was at like this house party, and this guy brought a Dreamcast, and like you know it's like my friend's parents weren't home, so he threw a party, and this guy brings a Dreamcast, and they hook it up in my friend's parents' bedroom. Right. And then like a bunch of people are sitting on their bed playing these games, you know, and I remember going up there and uh, he had Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And uh, I had Tony Hawk's Pro Skater for the PlayStation, you know, and it's so, like I went up there and saw how much better it looks on a Dreamcast. And, oh, yeah. you know, I guess I, that made me feel like uh, uh, like jealous, but also just kind of like, man, screw that thing with its with its way better looking <laughs> graphics. Get out of here. But I did end up buying a Dreamcast later on. That's good. You <laughs> rectified that. Yes. Yeah. The the Dreamcast was weird because I was at the age where that was the first system I could purchase with my own money at launch. Yeah. Same here. And I became sort of like this arbiter of the Dreamcast. And I probably sold at least a half dozen systems to various people <laughs> that I know or, you know, just show them the games on there. Just like they... Just like that old Sega CD commercial. Yeah. You have seen the games, right? You know, you do that. <laughs> you show them the games. You're like, okay, I'm going to go buy this. And they yeah. did. I mean, even so. like as a, like, even though I was not a sports game fan, I'll, I remember seeing uh, NFL 2K oh, for God, the first yeah. time. And it, and it looked like TV. <clears throat> and it may have well just been, you know, like live TV to me. That's a very good was, game. I know you can't really run in that game, but. Uh... <laughs> I mean, it looks good, but I remember just like the the commentators and all the crazy stuff they would say. Like, I had to pick when I did that Dreamcast launch video. It was hard, you know, trying to oh, figure yeah. out what I was gonna show of the of the commentator saying, you know, uh, just because it's funny. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. Yeah. That game also had the VMU play calling, if you remember. Yes. 
which oh, was like, you could like see the plays like on the screen. Yeah, because if you were playing so the, against somebody that yeah. way, you were just picking the plays on your own controller, and the other exactly. guy exactly. Because if you're playing like Madden against somebody, you know they they, see the they won't know the exact play you picked, but like there's right. only so many plays up on the screen. It's like okay, well he's in the eye formation, yeah. and you know et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So. Uh, that was a pretty big so that, uh, development. That's a, that was a fun party trick I used to pull with uh, Virtua Tennis on there. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you would looked... play Virtua Tennis, you could actually, the game was replicated on the VMU as like little stick figures. Yeah. And it was surprisingly well done to the point where I could actually play whole matches just by looking at the VMU. <laughs> so I would wow. challenge people to a game of Virtua Tennis and, and win while, with my back turned to the screen just looking at the VMU. Did they and, not know that? They, they did know the, that oh. that it was doing it, but they were like, kind of like, really, like, look yeah. at that. There's, it's just like little dots, and I'm like, here, I'll show you. Yeah, <laughs> show, show them how it works. But I mean, yeah. so you're, you know, you're buying this system as the like the first one you're buying with your own money. Yeah, and of course you're going to be like, everyone needs to get this because you want it to be a success. Like everyone wants right. the thing that they're spending their money on to be the one that's going to last. You know, exactly. And yeah, but then you I would was, go and do the same thing ugh. with a PS2. Yeah, a I, I yeah, I got the <laughs> PS2 right. For me, just PS2 it was. Uh, I was not. I I I was interested in all consoles. So I didn't really care which mm-hmm. one. I was really supporting Dreamcast, but I was also like, well, you know, PS2. Didn't think it was going to live up to the hype, but I was still interested in it. Mm-hmm. And really, all it took was like seeing Tekken and Ridge Racer like actually playing them for the first time on like a friend's import machine and just the fluidity of it uh yeah. I was like whoa and I instantly saw things on there that I'd never seen before like Ridge Racer having depth of field during during the uh replays like oh, camera yeah. style depth of field in a video game that yeah, yeah. didn't exist before that there was nothing like that ever there were some weird attempts in like Metal Gear Solid One, but it was just fake stuff. But like actually yeah. seeing like real blur uh, in a game, like I remember that specifically kind of blowing my mind. Like I couldn't believe it. That was like actually it's a, a real thing. camera. Yeah, and then there was like... also stuff like Tech and Tag where uh, they had sort of they simulated specular highlights on the floor, so these geometric modeled floors, and like as the lighting would pass over it, you'd actually see like the the glare of the light in the floor that accurately mapped to the light in the scene, <laughs> which was like, again, this was before pixel shaders and such. So this was like, I'd never seen anything like it. Same with the grass stage, like full blades of grass in a video game. Like people forget, <laughs> but that just didn't exist before that. And I think yeah. Tech and Tag was the first one I ever played that had that kind of representation of grass. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. couldn't even get that on the PC at that point. Like it I was mean, just we- a very new thing. We we were all you know uh, uh, jonesing for blades of grass in video games ever since Ghouls and Ghosts, right? Oh yeah, the, the yeah. blowing sprite grass, heck yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like oh, this isn't arcade perfect because there's no blades of grass in front of Arthur's feet. <laughs> but I mean, oh my you, god, you know, up up until that point, like I I remember seeing uh, Sonic Adventure, which had like a really great looking grass texture. You know, there's something about it that uh, you know it it was really really detailed versus anything i'd ever seen and i feel like that's one of the first things that jumped out at me when i first saw a dreamcast in action i saw it you know with sonic adventure and like look at the yeah, grass. sonic makes sonic makes a good first impression the texture detail was really high compared to anything else and it just had this really vibrant detailed look to it mm-hmm. 
but I was bummed out that it, all the previews prior to me actually playing it were like, oh yeah, it's a smooth 60 frames per second. <laughs> and then I actually played it and it's like, wait, this is not 60 frames per second. But okay, fr from the bank of useless knowledge, <laughs> here's this thing about Sonic Adventure. So, you know, in, the, in that game, as you finish the story modes, they open up the stages in the time attack mode, mm -hmm. right? And, and here's the thing. If you play the time attack versions of those stages, they all have a slower frame rate. There's Why? severe slowdown in time attack mode that's not present in the regular story mode. So the time attack versions just run a lot worse and they, they drop way below 30 frames per second a lot. Why like why would that and happen, I wonder? I don't know. I never understood why it happened. I never saw anybody else talk about it. I'm sure that people that have pulled the game apart have, but it's just it's this weird thing that always drove me nuts back in the day because I, I just wanted to replay stages like it just sounds and they like always a ran worse. Like, exactly. And for all I know, maybe it was... Sonic Adventure had so many iterations, right? Yeah. Like, there was the original Japanese release, which is a buggy, broken, horrible mess. And then there was, like, the special edition for Hollywood Video that was, like, this <laughs> half-finished version that was based on the Japanese version, but it was in the midst of being localized, and it, but it's had, it still had a lot of bugs. Then there was the launch version that had plenty of bugs, but was better than those other versions. And then there was, like, a later version where the title screen had this, like, wavy water effect on it right. that was in no other prior versions. So there was at least four. There might be more, but there was at least four unique versions of that game for the Dreamcast, and they all had different differences. <laughs> That's crazy. So, again, file that under useless knowledge, but it's... <laughs> but it's I'll, I'll never for forget someone. it now. I'll always right. be on the lookout for it, I guess. Yes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what are those speakers you got uh, behind you there that are hooked up to... All the... those? Yeah. Uh, those are Kef R300s, I think. See, I was going to guess Kef, but I yeah, wasn't stupid, I, so I didn't... I liked it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I have all Kef speakers there. Yeah, I also uh, see I that you're I... wearing uh, Sennheiser uh, uh, headphones there, so... So... I can rave about these because I bought these headphones in 2007 mm -hmm. and they still are in flawless condition. Like there's not a crack at all on any of the material here. The plastic's in perfect condition. They still sound great. Uh, and I use them a lot. Like, and it's surprising to me because electronics like this that are used heavily don't typically last that long. And most of their headphones that I've had over the years, like earbuds and things mm -hmm. like that, they just don't hold up that well, yeah, right? Like you end up replacing one. them fairly often. But these things, I really have no reason to replace them right now. Yeah. Like sometimes I think, man, I could get a different pair, but it's like, well, these things are still pretty good. They sound nice and they've held up extremely well. So yeah, build quality yeah. on these, really impressive. Yeah, I mean we've we've already done this topic on the show, but I'm a, a huge fan of Sennheiser. So like, this microphone oh, yeah. is Sennheiser. My other microphone is Sennheiser. These Excellent. in ear uh, monitors are Sennheiser, and then I've got a pair of like over the ear open back headphones just for listening to music, not for the show. That are uh, also Sennheiser. So uh, they don't sponsor oh, yeah. the show, but I think that they should. They make good <laughs> so, stuff. Yes, that would be a good thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we can wear all Sennheiser stuff yeah, uh, on the show if they want to. <laughs> we we right. always joke about, like, oh, if these people want to sponsor it, like, we're just, like, all about selling out like that. Not really, but, like, only, like, <laughs> the stuff that we like. Well, yeah, it's just, fr it's frustrating. That it's exactly. like, why can't the people whose products I love be the ones that want to sponsor my show instead <laughs> of, like, 
the people that do, you know, like instead of <laughs> instead of raid shadow legends or whatever it's called, you know, why can't it be, you know, Mogami cables or something, you know, or Sennheiser. <laughs> what about Hero Wars? Have uh, you all yeah. seen those sick new Hero Wars commercials? No, I haven't, I haven't seen that one, but uh, that's good. Yeah. You don't uh, want to. Yeah. Um, hey, what uh, is is now a good time? You think for uh, for our segment, the only yeah, segment for, we have. All right. Yeah. Can we you, ready? Uh, are we ready to roll it? Yeah. It's let's you're roll the one it. that's going to be on the hot seat, John. So. All right. All right. Let's do it. All right. All right. Here we go. Does he slap? 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 <laughs> I love the glass shattering at the end. Yeah, that's like, that, like that's, the cherry that's you, like, on top eating right it, there, right? I guess. Yes, M- it must be. Eat. You're eating it through a window. All right. <laughs> uh, so since uh, since John is our guest today, uh, I, I have prepared a uh, does it slap or should we eat it list for him based on my uh, limited knowledge of his interests. So, All right. But I think this is going to be tough. And, and actually, one of the things in here I think I'm hoping is going to lead us into the next topic of discussion <laughs> Um, okay, so John, your three things, and remember, you can only keep one, are manual transmissions, Ooh. RGB monitors, and uh, the Sega Mega Drive slash Sega Genesis. <laughs> so to be clear, you can keep one, the other two you can never have any contact with again. They don't stop existing in the world, but you just can't use them. Right. Okay. I like can, you'll, you I get to see connect. other people driving around, shifting gears with a big smile I, I on will, their face. I will explain can't. my thought process then. <laughs> Please do. So, <laughs> manual transmissions, yes, I do love them. Uh, but they have become increasingly rare at this point, and the rise of electric cars and hybrids have also eliminated them. When I bought my last car in 2020, I searched high and low all over Germany for a manual transmission. And they're so rare, I, I just could not get it. So I ended up with another automatic uh, after having a, a manual for the last eight years prior to that. So I guess I can I can cross the, off the list because uh, it's just not as feasible to get anymore anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Now, RGB monitors. <laughs> I'm going to say that that only refers to the specific type of like RGB <laughs> connection and it doesn't eliminate CRTs. Yes, can you can have you can have consumer YPB, grade PR, whatever. Yes, you can have consumer grade CRTs, but all the PVMs and BVMs and other VMs you've got in your house gotta go. But what if I have like an arcade monitor? That's not you know, and I uh, like and is I find it, a way is to it, convert Is it in an arcade machine? It. I think if it's in an arcade machine, it can stay in the arcade machine. All right, well, I'll do that. But I don't want to say Sony PVMs, because then you're just going to go get a Panasonic or something. You know what I'm saying? You're going to cheat. I could live with consumer CRTs, even though I wouldn't want to have to. Because, frankly, I have to keep the Mega Drive. Uh, I cannot imagine, like, just eliminating that entirely. It's just too darn important to everything I've... uh, Just gaming history for me and Mm -hmm. my own tastes and... Yeah, there's plenty of other stuff to play outside of that, of course. But just the idea of eliminating that entirely would be a horrific thing. So there's <laughs> no way I could ever just toss that away. 
I'm going with that one. It slaps. Good. That, I, I mean, that would have been my choice too. Just for the record, <laughs> excellent. Um, uh, just but, for the for the record, I had like multiple like does it slap or should we eat it uh, for John that I could like many of them I can only think of like two, and I couldn't okay. think of a third one. Well, if you've I mean if you've got three you want to put together got, and hit them up, hit them again, like please feel free. Bring it. Oh, bring I can take on. stuff from all of them if I wanted to. I guess you, you do, can do whatever. I mean, you the want. one that I only had three of that I had three in it was you know video game console related, which was I had PC Engine Vita or Dreamcast. Like, which one would you keep? But oh, okay. wow! To me, that's not even close. But I know you're not asking me, so <laughs> you know what my uh, answer is going to be. Am I answering that one? I mean, if you if you want to, you can. I could PC Engine Vita or Dreamcast. Man, as much as I love Vita <laughs> and Dreamcast, I've come to appreciate the PC Engine so much in the last uh, ten years. Like, I think it's just too darn good. And Thank you. That's the frank, obvious. Answer. Quite frankly, like most of the best Dreamcast stuff is uh, available on other platforms, right? So, yeah. like, I wouldn't yeah, actually yeah. be missing out on that much. Definitely now. So, and then the Vita, you know, Vita's cool, but it's it's significantly less cool than either of those machines. Yeah, PC Engine wins. I was so it disappointed slaps. with the Vita personally yeah and I, I mean i love my psp and then i got a vita and it's like such cool hardware but there were just never any games on it that i really like i played i used it basically to play hot shots golf and that's it oh, i'm that's not saying that's the only good golf, game but i'm saying i would go to the store like all right i want to buy a vita game and i would look and there was just nothing that jumped out at me that yeah you had you had to work to get the good vita games i think like yeah. it, you just couldn't go to a yeah. store and get them yeah but I was very happy just playing the golf, you know, because I was traveling a lot for work and I was riding on airplanes all over the place and I would just sit there and play golf all day. I was pretty happy with that. Like, I never regretted my purchase. I'd say that. Yeah, it's a good system. There's, there's great stuff on there, but it never truly came into its own in the same way as I would say the PSP, which is one of the best handhelds ever made. Right. And that's what got me to buy a Vita is I love the PSP so much. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, this, this ain't no PSP 2. <laughs> yeah, else. exactly. Uh, okay, so uh, Corey kind of suggested that I should talk to you about uh, this, and so that's tr- leading into it with my does it slap uh, thing. So uh, we don't have time to go over this uh, in, in an exhaustive manner, but uh, Corey told me that you've had a very interesting uh, sort of history uh, in car ownership. That oh, you know, you've okay. had a lot of interesting cars. <laughs> Because I remember, yeah. like when we were driving back from uh, from North cars. Carolina, you you like, oh, I'm gonna go through like all the cars that you've had. Oh yeah, we did. That, that was fun. Yeah. So I was just gonna maybe you know if you can give a, a condensed version, I was gonna just ask if you could pick like three cars. They could be your favorite three, or the most interesting three, or just three that had cool stories of you know something having to do with them. And, and I'll just share run. That. I'll just run through them actually, because right. you know it's not that many. I'm not like a car YouTuber, so I don't have like a fleet, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I have a car and then another car after yeah. that car, right? You're not like Doug Demuro. No, I am not like that. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, so I mean, my, the first car I ever had that was the one that I owned and drove was a 1987 Chevrolet Celebrity. I don't know if you guys remember the Celebrity, mm-hmm. but it is a four door sedan from Chevy. It was kind of a shit box, if I may. <laughs> it was not. It was. It was a car that my parents had that I just kind of inherited when I started driving, and uh, 
the paint was defective, so all the paint had faded off of it. But defective. it was built like a it was built like a tank. Like, you know, it it was in some accidents, but you couldn't tell. Like the thing just took the hits like it was nothing. Uh and but it was so slow. Like just going up a hill. Like in this, I would have to turn off the air conditioning when I went up a hill because it otherwise it wouldn't get over thirty miles an hour. You know, that's that's the top speed there with the AC yeah. on. It was, had, it was had, pretty bad. I had a car like that too, yeah. So that was uh that was not the best. Um and then eventually I got rid of it because Apparently there was like a hole in the block at some point that had occurred and it was starting to, it was, it was pretty bad. So we ditched <laughs> that. The next car I took on was again, uh, one from my parents and it was a, I kid you not, it was a Dodge Caravan from 1989. <laughs> Long version. Oh, the thing about, is. The thing about the Caravan it, though, is that it actually came at the right time. Cause that's the, that's the car I had during most of college. So college was for me like hey what if we did like pc land parties or played halo networked which meant of course <laughs> hauling crts around mm -hmm. and a very long van is very good for hauling lots of crts <laughs> which i did a lot of so i also when i was purchasing crts during this era i was very picky and like so was a friend of mine we would often buy the set bring it home, be unhappy with some aspect of it, pack it up, take it back, swap it for a different model. And w <laughs> there was one time where I swapped like with four different models in the course of like a week. I think they hated me at that point, but the caravan got me. But the one crazy story about the caravan is I was driving home one day on the highway and one of the middle win windows just like popped, shattered. I don't know what triggered it, <laughs> but the whole window just blew out and it, I'm surprised it didn't have an accident because it was kind of terrifying. <laughs> like <laughs> you thought someone was shooting at you. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say, so it could have been like, like a stray bullet or something for all you know. It kind of felt that way. Yeah, it was yeah. nuts. So there was that. <laughs> uh, God, and the next car was followed. It was a, a, another Chevrolet. Good Lord. It was a, <laughs> it was um the, uh, oh, what's the name of it? The Chevy, um, What what's... What's the, the little hatchback they had for a while? I'm blanking on the name for some reason. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like a big... It started in the 80s and it went up through the early 2000s. It was... Uh, man, I can't believe I forgot the name of it. But it was a, it was a little two-door hatchback-y looking thing mm -hmm. that was uh, kind of not super powerful, but it got the job done and I installed a stereo in it, which was awesome at the time. With one of those face plates. Remember the removable face plates? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. With all the LED lights on there. <laughs> so <laughs> there there was that. And it was a, a bright yellow one. Actually, oh, it was, I, I got the name. Cavalier. The Chevy Cavalier. Oh, I didn't remember <laughs> that being a hatchback. Uh, it's Maybe they had it, a hatchback well, version or something. The two-door coupe version w was. it. The whole trunk window thing... Did it or did it not? Or maybe I'm thinking wrong. Maybe it's not a hatch. It looked like it would be, but it may not have been. I could also been a be while. wrong. So, but yeah, no, I I think you might be right. I think it was just a normal truck trunk, but it looked very hatchback like. But it was it was alright. And then, uh, that's those were the all the cars I had up to this point, which were not amazing. 
but but those then, like you i mean you said you inherited or whatever the celebrity but the other two th- that was a conscious decision you made that i'm well buying no i inherited this. the van and the celebrity but the the cavalier was a conscious choice okay. and it was a used a used one but it was it was all right it got the job done uh until so i went to japan after that and when i came back I then had to get myself a new car. And this was the first time I got a car that I thought was pretty nice for myself. Uh, it was a 2006 Mazda 6. And I liked the Mazda 6 a lot. It was a it was a really nice uh, kind of, you know, four-door car. And I, I kind of stick with the four-door cars because I need a, li- a little bit of space after that small two-door. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if you guys have any experience with that, but the Mazda 6, it's a peppy little car it's a it's a nice ride it's i really enjoyed that one a lot actually and does it look like is it like sporty at all it's it's pretty sporty i'd say especially for the time it it had some really nice features in it it was well upholstered a good ride (laughs) i i I definitely liked the masa 6 but then i upgraded one more time in the u.s uh and i i really liked it at the time i I got a uh an acura tsx which was a really nice little driving car, actually. And that replaced the Mazda. And that was the first one I owned that had, like, a full infotainment system, you know, with the nav display and all that stuff. And oh, wow. all those types of features and Bluetooth connections. That was the first <laughs> time I actually experienced any of that stuff. And that was cool, I thought, at the time, right? And I would say that that ended up being one of my favorite cars because it was just... It wasn't the fastest, but it had a really, it, it felt good to drive. The engine was like, the engine in the TSX is comparable to like what's in like a Civic Si, right? So it's got a little bit of pep, but not like, you know, it's not super powerful car, but it was, it was good. It was good. Uh, and I kept that until I moved to Europe and then coming to Europe, it's like, all right, well, if I'm moving here, I need to get European cars, right? So the, fr- <laughs> that's what <laughs> I would first, do. The yeah. first, the first one I got then was a um, a BMW 528, which was, uh, that was a big, big step up from, from everything <laughs> I'd driven before. And of course, I got it with the manual transmission. And that's when I fell in love with manual transmissions. Okay, really. so you didn't have manual transmission well, before so, that. No, before that, actually, my wife did. Oh, uh, uh, okay. So I guess technically I had more cars. Like she had a Ford Focus with a manual transmission and then got a uh, Volkswagen Jetta wagon, which is really just a Golf estate over here with the <laughs> manual transmission. And the turbo diesel Golf with a manual transmission is actually real fun. Those are, those are nice <laughs> to drive. So I that, that was the car that sold me on manual transmission. And then when I came to Europe, <clears throat> it was the BMW I got with the manual transmission. And I drove the heck out of that from up until 2020 and I put a lot of miles on it and then I was like all right this is getting pretty high mileage and you know once you cross a certain mileage on those big BMWs the the service costs can start to get high right so I'm like I don't want to get in they're like yeah you're coming up on that one on the big service and I'm like uh I don't really want to come up on the big service (laughs) yeah I just put that money towards something else it's time to switch and so the one I currently have, which is definitely among my favorite, is I got a BMW 430i. So I went down a range, but the 430 is essentially like, it's like a longer, coupier version of the 3 Series. So it's the Grand Coupe, as they call it. <laughs> and it does actually have a true proper hatchback on it, which is very useful. 
uh, and that thing is very low to the ground. It's it's quite sporty to drive, and yeah, I, I wanted to get one with a manual transmission so bad, but they are so hard to find here. I literally only found like, you know, three or four that were actually available to purchase with oh, a manual transmission, and they were all like low spec versions. I wanted the bigger engine and and like specific like leather colors and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and they just didn't have them with the manual transmission. And I was so bummed out by that. But in the end, I got used to the automatic again. And I've accepted my fate. And uh, it's been a really fun, reliable... I would say, honestly, these cars have been very reliable for me. I don't know if it's the difference between American... You always hear, like, oh, it's German cars are unreliable and expensive. But these have been the most reliable cars I've ever owned be honest like i just don't really have problems with them just do the regular service when it's time uh and then they just go and i think that's part of the problem is i think a lot of people don't do the regular service that they're supposed to do <laughs> like they think that you don't need yeah. to you know like in the I manual that, it'll ha okay this many miles you do this that many miles you do that and you have to go do it right and people just don't the people wait until there's a symptom of a problem and then go get it fixed and then mm -hmm. get sticker shock when it's something that might not have even broken in the first place if you had done your yeah regular that's service. the thing right and in the current one even it's all tracked in the in the head unit like in the iDrive system and it's also tracked like enough where like uh the dealer knows now which i thought was at first a little bit weird but it's like fine where it's <laughs> like I was coming up on one of my services and I got a phone call from the BMW dealer and like, Oh, you want to schedule your next service? We see that you're coming up on it. Hmm. I was like, Oh, that's weird, but okay. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so I, it, it is convenient. So I was able to just go in there and, and do that. And it's great. So yeah, I think as, it feels like as long as you're cautious with service and taking good care of it, it seems to be really solid. Uh, mm. One other weird thing about, living over here though is uh, in germany you need to have winter tires so i have two sets of wheels for the car oh you gotta change uh, them out like i change them out and the thing is is like i it's a, my summer tires i freaking love i got big 19 inch rims on there that are like real nice uh real i love the way they look but then the winter ones are like smaller 17 inches they're they're fine they're like five the the star design kind of wheels but you know, it makes the car look less cool in the winter, I would say. <laughs> if I could put it that way. It's like, oh, I'm in winter mode here. Yeah. But I mean, I mean something you, you have that. to do here, too, if you live in a cold climate? You don't yeah, have we have to, to do that in, in Or Are you saying in Germany it's like the law? It's it's the law. Oh, you can get pulled over if you're, like, cruising around in well, summertime. Well, okay, so you don't really get pulled over in Germany. That's that's <laughs> another thing. Like, cops oh, don't right. just sit... They, they they sit there, and sometimes with their cameras, yeah. and they will, like, snap snap speeds, and then if you were speeding, you get a ticket in the mail. Yeah. But <laughs> tickets are cheap. They're, like, 10 euros. Yeah. Like, 10, 10 oh, bucks wow. for a speeding ticket. It's nothing. You don't really get pulled over. But if you had an accident, and you were not using the correct tires, uh, oh. it's going to cost you big time insurance won't cover anything wow uh that's that's really seen. intense so like you you need to pay attention to this and get the correct tires in your car yeah i think all seasons are possible but you know i've been using winter and summer tires and it is interesting the driving distance uh difference between them the summer tires definitely feel noticeably different 
Uh, it's just a just smoother just ride, or is the it grip and oh. uh, the winter tires have like a, almost like slightly, almost in a slightly bouncier feel to them, and just the way mm-hmm. they grip is a little different. Where the <clears> summer <throat> tires just feels like you can be a little more athletic with your driving, and also there's a maximum speed on the winter tires of like I forget what it is, but they don't want you to exceed like two hundred something kilometers per hour <laughs> on the winter tires, but. That's another thing in Germany. Yes, you can. Uh, there are many highways with no speed limit, and people definitely take advantage of it, including myself. <laughs> it is. It can be exhilarating, but you really have to really be serious about driving when you're going over like 200 kilometers an hour or something, mm-hmm. right? Like it's at that point that you like you make a mistake and it's over. So yeah, no messing around. John, didn't you get to go get to go and like drive some like sports car on some track or something? Yeah, like that? I got to drive a, a a Lamborghini Huracan uh, up in the French mountains down in the Alsace region, and holy moly, that was a <laughs> that was, was it was like a was it like a birthday thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife took me down there. It's like, oh wow, I get to drive this. So we went <laughs> we went cruising around in a Lambo. Uh, and again, since I'm no car YouTuber, I'm not Doug DeMuro. I don't exactly have access to this stuff normally. So that was my first time driving something like that. And like just the experience and the way you drive is so different because of the downforce. Like when you're taking turns in that, you actually can just accelerate into the curve and just like take it almost like a car on, on like one of those little magnetic tracks. Right? Oh, like, like, there's, a, like yeah. no, there's like no body roll or like so little. You just kind of like zoop right around the corner. It feels so weird coming you from any probably other. Probably feel invincible. And I suspect I could understand after driving it why people get into accidents, right? Yeah. Because you start to feel like all oh, this car can do anything, but then <laughs> it's not actually true. And there's going to be circumstances where you push it the wrong way, and yeah, suddenly, yeah, you've just wrecked your Lamborghini. So do you think that like spoiled like all cars? Like I mean, not all cars, but like. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to have something like that at some point. (laughs) They are very fun. And it's insane how low you sit in that thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you literally, it feels like you're, like, just a couple inches off the ground. Like, when you're sitting, you're way down deep in this cockpit. And it just, it's, uh, it feels really weird. But it's, uh, it's quite fun to drive. Is that, like, the manual transmission, like, on the steering wheel or something? Yeah, those are the ones, the newer ones all use paddle shifters. I you know I would love to take an older Lamborghini out like uh, with an actual old stick shift right mm-hmm. like the Diablo SV or something. <laughs> I I would be totally into that. That would be cool. I don't think I would fit in the the older Countach though. <laughs> the Countach like ruled the eighties, but if you actually like yeah. sit in one, it's like you can't put the seat back hardly at all, and it's just barely any room to even. And that's cram that's into like that the thing. iconic looking. Lamborghini, yeah, it's, right? it's made for for tiny Italian men, basically. <laughs> and if you don't fit that profile, you're probably not going to fit in the Countach. <laughs> you know, it's uh, I had a friend; uh, his dad owned a car dealership, and we just thought it's the coolest thing. It was like it was a Dodge car car dealership, and oh yeah, cool. And he uh, got to drive it; like he drove around a Viper for you know, dude. The like... Vipers, there's there's original Vipers, man. Have you have you seen those things? They're I don't understand how they sold them. They're basically like a death trap. Like there's <laughs> like no safety, like no like limits or like uh, it's just no limits. It's like a rocket on wheels. <laughs> the, the early ones didn't even have like windows. 
like they had like this snap-on thing like it had a front windshield but like no actual like side windows it was literally like a plastic sheet you would like snap on to cover it up <laughs> and it didn't even have like door handles on the outside you actually just had to reach inside and open it so you basically couldn't like lock it right so if you took if you took your uh viper out anybody could just walk up and open the darn thing up because you know it, that's how you open the car you literally reach inside it was basically like a, a crazy weird racing car thing that dodge put together and mm -hmm. it was stupidly fast at the time but also without traction control or any of those other safety measures in it i as i understand there was a lot of accidents with those cars early on because they're just it's yeah <laughs> it's not exactly <laughs> meant for the for the type of people that might buy them i would yeah. say other than the ones that are real serious about driving. Yeah. I mean, that's... That, that, I, that, we just thought it was the that, coolest thing, like, that he had this. But, I mean, obviously, this was, like, like mid... Like, early to mid-90s. I feel like... Wow. I, I kind I Well, my real experience of, like, finding out what a Viper was was thanks to uh, the need for speed. Oh, that's, yeah. That's where I first, first saw... Uh, <laughs> Saw one. I guess. What about like Viper a... Racing from Sierra? <laughs> they put out a dedicated racing game on the PC that was just Vipers. I didn't know really. That. It was actually pretty good. No joke. But yeah. Do you have like one crazy. like all time favorite like racing video game? Oh, racing video game. Uh, if I look in my heart. It's a weird one to go with, but I it's it's Ridge Racer Five. That's the one. I think it's it's my favorite ever. Like even more uh, than Daytona. Yeah, Daytona, Daytona Two. I, well, no, I would put Daytona One because of what it meant. Daytona One would be like number two, and then Outrun Two would be number mm -hmm. three. Outruns up but there. It might be my. There's this joy to Ridge Racer Five that's like never been matched anywhere else for me. Like just the. It just has the right amount of technical quality in terms of the driving mechanics, right? Mm -hmm. Like later Ridge Racer games were way simplified, and the ones before that were a little twitchy and not that refined. Mm -hmm. But Ridge Racer Five is like tuned to perfection. It is so good the, the handling, and the course design, and just the atmosphere. It has that, like I like to describe it as that that year two thousand aesthetic. <laughs> where yeah. uh there's just some like the skies and the color usage and like the vibe of the internet and like cyber things like <laughs> rising up yeah. like early 2000s games totally had this vibe going on that i find so darn just appealing and awesome you mm -hmm. really see it in a game like tekken 4 you know what i mean yeah where like most of the fights take place at like dusk you know, the sun is setting. You're starting <laughs> to see the stars in the sky. There's lots of glass and metal. It yeah. feels very future and polished. And, like, <laughs> this is the future that's coming. Uh, and Ridge Racer 5 definitely has a lot of that going on. And it's just, it's an aesthetic that it's, you know, it's very different from Sega Blue Skies. Yeah. But it's way before we got into the whole, like, uh, brown realism yeah, grim tones. type stuff. Right. It's still... Yeah. It's it's Felt interesting, very just like like the time in which that was developed. Because uh, I've been digitizing like all these like old VHS tapes, and I found that one that was like like six and a half hours of just like 
MTV from uh, like 1999. And it's just, it's such an interesting thing because it's like this look at the world, like where 9-11 hasn't, hadn't happened yet. Because like, you know, I talk, I, my wife and I watched this movie, the movie Go. Have you ever seen Go? From, I've seen uh, Go, yeah. I saw it in the theaters even. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Chris, have you seen Danbury. Go? Danbury. No, I have not. Sorry. You, you should check it out. But it's like that came out in 1999. And yep. it's just like this, like 1999 might be like this snapshot of like, you know, just like almost like a world of, I don't know, like at least in our like, middle class like white guy lives in North America I guess <laughs> yeah. like it seemed like this you know it was like a you know like a world where you know like there's so much potential and things possibility. are going to be all right things are going to yeah. be cyber yeah be exactly great. like no no matter like things are going to be okay uh and it's just like it's the interesting matrix was to look right at. about that by the way the whole thing is the machines created a world based on 1999 right <laughs> yeah like yeah they were right <laughs> <laughs> you know where you know 9-11 hadn't happened yet it's just it's just an interesting just like thought i guess like i'm with you where 1999 man so much good stuff then <laughs> but all that uh, stuff i yeah. mean you, those games you're talking about like are all in development then and you know like you, you see a lot of the you know watching like the commercials and everything like they're all pretty obnoxious Mm-hmm. But, you know, one thing I was <laughs> I was kind of uh, shocked by, and this is something that was like off a of tape that I recorded yesterday from, I think it was 1995. And I feel like this, they had to have gotten in trouble for it because I, I'm like looking at it, it's like, this is definitely illegal. Where uh, this company was selling uh, like perfume and fragrances that were just like, like cheap versions of, uh, expensive ones, and it's just like straight up called designer imposters. What? Like that's okay. the name of the company. Like making them is called designer imposters. I I have no idea if they're still around. I doubt oh. it. Like they. How could that that just seems exist? like such a. Like, so like a, instead of obsession, it was like some word that rhymed with obsession. You're saying yes, and it's okay. like it's it says uh, you know all of the same like the same like great smell of something at a fraction of the price. Wait, so is this pretty much like the perfume equivalent of Keiko Labs or whatever? <laughs> yeah, or Sounds just like, like any kind of like, <laughs> you know, anything that's like a knockoff of it's like the it's Total like knockoff. the uh, the fragrance version of like, uh, Mister Pib. Is Mister Mister oh, Pib yeah. is like or Doctor? Uh, yeah, Mister Mister Pib is like Coke's version of Doctor Pepper, right? Because isn't Doctor okay. Pepper a Pepsi but, thing? But there right? was uh, is like like you know, I guess in Western New York we had like Food Club versions of stuff here it's like just like the kroger brand is like the knockoffs of you know like when i think of knockoffs i think of those backpacks with like black sonic on it that just says like (laughs) obama on it (laughs) oh just like what is this like just random it's just like random things jammed together and thrown (laughs) on a backpack and you're like oh okay like this doesn't make any sense I think you can go um, to like Walmart and they have like Doctor Soda or something like that. It's some yeah. real, well, well, real no, it's Doctor, What they have here is Doctor Thunder. Oh yeah, yeah, that's oh, Doctor Thunder. Doctor Thunder. <laughs> now we're talking. That sounds like a like an eighties WWF wrestler. It does. Yeah. 
<laughs> it instantly channels that, doesn't it? Oh, man, did you see what George the Animal Steel did to Dr. Thunder last night? <laughs> Dr. Thunder. <laughs> you know, like, it, it's, it's not only is are you named Thunder, but you're also a doctor. Did you know exactly. that George the Animal Steel was, like, a history teacher or something? <laughs> like, if you look it up, like, he was a teacher. That was his day job. And then he would go on TV and, like, be George the Animal Steel and eat the turnbuckles Did, like, a student not know? Or they probably all know. I mean, they, they must have known. I mean, how can you not? Well, that's the same with like Britt Baker in uh, AEW, right? Like she's a dentist, I think, for real. <laughs> what? And also that's plays awesome. a dentist in the ring. Wow. So it's like, it's it's like a weird thing, right? Where it's like, okay, <laughs> there's this day job and then there's this other job. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, speaking speaking of, of re- you know, I don't I don't watch wrestling anymore, but I liked it when I was a kid and. Uh, um, my friend just told me, and this also gives me a, an excuse to drag Corey's uh, favorite new uh, phrase out. Uh, if if you hop on the cock, you can watch. Uh, they have all of the like every WrestleMania ever streaming. If you hop Wait, what? You, on the really, co- yeah, I, it's, I, I'm it's, peacock. That's it's peacock. Corey's yeah. trying to make it happen where if you say you're gonna watch uh, anything on peacock, you say you're gonna hop on the cock. Up on the cock, yeah. Oh my god! But I mean, it has got to be C A W K. Yes, because we don't want to be filthy. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I thought you know because I I watched like probably the first three or four WrestleManias when I was a kid because you know you mm. could go to the video store and you could rent them you know sometime after the fact, and so I would do that. I think I thought it would be a trip. You know, I quit watching wrestling probably by the time WrestleMania four happened, which is probably like. 1988 or something but yeah uh you know those would be a trip to go watch uh, again yeah i mean i yeah. stopped watching i think when i mean it had to have been like late 80s yeah when i stopped watching and i i remember I, when wow, i watched up until the ni- like late 90s i was oh really so you were like era. all the way th- like the attitude yeah where it was yeah, i i fell out in the mid 90s like a bit then a friend of mine was back into it so you know we watched some of that we we did watch some ECW, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so I, I watched that for a while, and then yeah, ECW, <laughs> WCW, that. WCW was like they were oh, yeah. bought by WWF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still call it out of habit. I just still call it WWF. I, like I, I don't I prefer that. Yeah, WWE. <laughs> come on, yeah. What is e? I just remember no. that the you know, the uh, the WWF like the logo, the metal logo. The logo, yeah, the yeah, freaking so logo, good. man. It's so good. But I remember oh, I being love... really disappointed when they would have, uh, uh, when, well, I mean, not disappointed, but they're like when SNL was on, sometimes they wouldn't have SNL on. They would show wrestling instead. It was yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. Saturday Night Main Event or something like that. Yeah, I, bl- I believe that's what it was called. Yeah. And, and I love, on one of I those. Love... Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you got in history. Oh, I was just thinking like, there's so many wrestling games in existence and I typically don't get into them because they're more technical and execution yeah. based, but I freaking love WWF WrestleMania, the arcade game of yeah. Midway, right? That's basically like, that is the NBA jam of wrestling games. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Kind of pick yeah. Up yeah and play. It's, like the same like, people, it's complete right? insanity. It's so fast paced. It has Doink the Clown in it. I love playing that game. It has, does have Doink the Clown. And I think like, uh, <laughs> Uh, there's there's so many like each character has different stuff come out of them when you hit them you yeah know? like at points and it's just like it's so weird but it's so isn't great. there like the, doesn't have like create a cre- like 
crazy endings too. Like this isn't there one it's like I think so, yeah. Like somebody I don't remember who it was, like travels the world like and like brings world peace. I think that was I can't a... remember who it was though. That'd be nice. That game that game rules. <laughs> also I mean, Cap- I... Capcom's uh muscle bomber games are good. Like Saturday uh, Saturday Night Slam Saturday Night Slam thing. Masters. Yeah. You know, but I, I love the Japanese title, Muscle Bomber, The Body Explosion. Like that. <laughs> That's a freaking amazing title. That sounds like yeah. something that happens to you after you eat Taco Bell. <laughs> the body <laughs> explosion. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that. just... That's true. What is the... Uh, like, the Japanese names for uh, for everything is, like, always, like, is better. Like, isn't the like the Fast and the Furious movie is called, like, Wild Speed or something like that? Yeah, something like that. I think Wild so. Wild Speed. And um, like, what was the what was the the uh, double dribble game called? Like the like the the Genesis one. Oh yeah, it has like a really really good name. Um, Am I allowed to look at physical things on the shelf? I think that's okay. It's just about not taking your phone out and stuff like that. There's no screen, but I uh, what double what double dribble on the Genesis? Hyperdunk. Oh, I like that. That's what it is. That's such a good name. (laughs) Hyperdunk. I mean, that could be oh, a whole man. video. Like, games, they have better names than Japan. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty common, I think. It sounds like then, a Game but... Sack episode, you know? Yeah. It sounds extremely Game Sack. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I, we should Today we're talking that. about games that have better names in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, show I mean, close-up of box, slam the cartridge in the slot, let's go. Yeah. It's hyperdunk. What's hyperdunk. Just... The body I, his show is like interesting because basically it's like I want to take ten games and talk about them, and you just have to find some Theme. something you can use to tie them together. It really yeah. doesn't matter it's, what. So it could be fantastic. something. It could be something as silly as games that have better names in Japan because ultimately, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter what the topic is. You know, exactly. Like, I think I maybe watch I'll Game Sack because it's Game Sack. You know, yeah, it's just like you know pulling random games out. Yeah. I mean, I like that's. I think that's a. We should suggest that to him. Like, I think that he'd be, he'd be yeah. like, okay. Yeah. His, like, I mean, we got to have Joe on here, like, and we've already talked about having him on. But, like, he has, like, the craziest work ethic. Like, he's a workaholic. You yeah. know, he was, like, messing around with something. I think I told John about this, where uh, he was, like, messing around with, like, pulling these uh, sound files from Genesis games. Like, these ones. <laughs> Those ones. And... uh <laughs> You know, I, he's like spending like an entire evening. I'm like, I said, you spent, you just spent like an entire evening, you know, figuring this out. He's like, oh, good thing I have five episodes in the can. <laughs> just like ready to go. I can't even imagine. Can you imagine that? Yeah. The only time I, that happens is like with the Patreon setup we have now for the DF Retro videos. When I make those really long episodes, mm-hmm. they come out first for the patrons as the full thing. And then I can split it into multiple pieces for public release. Yeah. And then that ends up lasting for a while. Like the PS3 1080p dream that lasted <laughs> all of July last year, you know, since I split it up into four parts. <laughs> I've, I've never, ever had an episode in the can ever. Like I, <laughs> the I make them like, and then I release them. I've never had like, oh, yeah, I have this yeah, one to yeah. release later. That would be exactly. amazing to like have that. Yeah, that situation. That's tough uh, to do. It depends on what you cover, though. I mean, for retro, it's maybe a little more feasible. Yeah, yeah. Because it's stuff that's already exists. But if you're covering new stuff, though, it's like it's impossible. Yeah, because you need to get it. I mean, you need to get it out as fast as you can. For one. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
One thing I've always been curious about, John, because like you release like several, like at least one video a week, you know, yeah. on Digital Foundry, and uh, like what you've you've always struck me as like somebody who's very good at like time management. Yeah, I mean, that's one of my skills. That, I think. Yeah. So, like, how like how do you excel at that? Like, what do you like? What are some of your time management skills? Like, like just uh, I don't know tips. So it, it, it weirdly, I think it stems from anxiety more than anything initially. Like, that's where it was born from, because I didn't like missing things or being late on stuff. I bet you don't like naps either. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I always, I always hated naps because I always felt like I was missing something. Yeah, exactly. I don't like <laughs> naps. I don't really do that. Uh, so that's kind of the main thing is it's like, all right. But what ended up happening, especially with this type of work I do now, is I've just developed a pretty good understanding of exactly how long it will take to, to, mm -hmm. to reach the finish line. Like I almost like a sixth sense where I can just feel like, all right, if I just work on this, I, I know I can get this done by this date. Mm -hmm. Right. And I try to think about all the potential bottlenecks as early as possible and tackle them or at least schedule them, like understand like, all right, well for this thing, this could, I could get stuck on this. This could take X amount of time. So to give myself keep myself from being over pressured i just like okay this will probably take at least a couple days you know mm -hmm. or this will slow me down x number of hours and i also view that for like things like if i'm doing a video and it's like oh man i want to get this cool shot or i want to do this one thing i can think like all right if i actually want to do that and i get all the equipment out and get everything set up it will take at least two or three hours right and that's a chunk of my day that i have available and i have x number of days until it needs to release can I afford to spend that three hours doing this thing? And if I think like, no, and that just means I'd be working too many late nights, then I mm -hmm. say, well, I guess it doesn't, I don't really need to do it. So I tend to save those types of the more complex stuff for the bigger stuff that I really care about. Yeah. The most like, 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 retro like file away, like, I right. guess like shot so, ideals or something. And yeah. So it's just kind of scaling up and down based on deadlines, knowing how long it's going to take and then just making choices based on that, mm -hmm. right? So I'll never, if, if I really have to get something done by a day, then there's going to be things I don't do that I might have wanted to do, but I just have to say, no, I can't do it. I don't have time. I won't be able to finish it if I do that thing. And that's and, kind of the, really the secret to it, just knowing that, really. And you got to realize, you know, when you're turning something around, like nobody's going to know that you didn't do something. Yeah. And that's, I guess exactly. that's what it comes down to. And, so, and it, you know, sometimes I spend time on fun things like that, that stupid introduction I did for Goldeneye video, mm -hmm. where I just like, I did spend <clears throat> probably an extra hour or so just working on that because I thought it was fun. Yeah. Right. And it's pleasing to do that sometimes, but you can't, but I would say people enjoyed that. But if I hadn't done it because of time constraints, nobody, nobody would have cared. They wouldn't have known. Right. And that's perfectly fine. So it's really just... I scale up and do more interesting things for certain projects and, mm -hmm. you know, keep it in check based on, you know, the timings for the normal stuff. It usually works okay. Uh, those retro episodes, though, when, when I really get into them, they can, they can get pretty rough at the end in terms of just getting it done. Yeah. You know? Oh, so, yeah. I mean, it's like that, you see you that know. finish line <laughs> and you know that you need to, like, 
you're going to have to spend, you know, a long day or long weekend doing it because actually the biggest problem, especially when getting into the episodes, like, like I mentioned that PS3 1080p video, that was like three and a half hours long. And I, mm-hmm. and as you, as you guys would know, when the episode gets over a certain length, it becomes really hard to keep it all in your head. Yeah. Cause like one of the things I do a lot is rewatch the, I keep rewatching parts of the video, especially the beginning. Mm-hmm. And every time I do it, I end up polishing it up a little bit more and yeah. adding stuff to it. And I do more of that when I have more time. But for those retro episodes, you know, I care a lot about them. But once they get to be hours long, it becomes really tough to do that, right? Like, yeah. you think, well, I'm just going to watch this chunk and try to polish it up. That could literally cost you two or three hours of time just mm-hmm. rewatching it and, and doing stuff to it, right? Which is not feasible. So yeah. it's uh, and nobody's gonna know. Nobody knows. Nobody would that, know that you but... like tidied it up a little bit, or you, you know, you like that's. I think that's something that I've struggled with more is that uh, I got to a point where I started like recording my voiceover directly to the timeline, and I said, "Oh, I can tweak Ooh. this. I can go back and re-record this bit and change the way that I say something." Which is it's nice if I want to like change, you know, a lot. But sometimes I'm like, "Oh, I don't really like how I." say this i'm going to change it and then it just becomes you know you spend an entire day doing nothing of any significance that's important so that's another thing i've always done that seems seems to be different from what a lot of people do from what i can tell anyway is i always i always script and and film and record in chunks yeah it's like all right i've written the first five minutes of this video let me go ahead and film myself doing the whole thing and i'm going to edit up that first five minutes and make it really good Mm-hmm. That's what but I, I have do. nothing else beyond beyond that, and yeah, then it's like, I, all right, t- I do the do exact do that? same thing. Oh yeah, I can't. I'm not okay. going to write. I'm not going to write and record an entire good. See, that's, show at that's once. what a lot of people I've talked to are like, wow, that's what you do, and they seem surprised. And I'm like, that seems so obvious. Like, especially because it gives you this like break, right? You write mm-hmm. for X amount of time, and you're like, okay, if I keep writing, the writing is going to be less good, or I'm just going to be annoyed because I don't feel like continuing to write. And then by mm-hmm taking a break you're getting a lot of stuff done and i also find that doing editing the early parts of the video helps set the tone and like give you that energy to keep going like once you have a visual of like what it's gonna look like then you're like oh okay i can build on this and it makes it easier to write the rest that's what i think it's like when you get a little piece of it even sort of done in rough draft form it's like it gives you motivation because you're like oh it's coming together i like this and then go to the next part i think if you got stuck just writing the whole thing and then recording the voiceover for the whole thing, you, you'd get sort of bogged down, you know, cause you've done all this work and you don't really have anything exactly. to show for it. Yeah. And I've now built my setup so that I can film myself in this position, standing or sitting. But like, I used to have an issue where it's like, I would record on camera stuff with a different mic standing in a different part of the room. And then if I needed to make changes or add stuff in, it was actually a pain because you'd, I would usually record with a different mic or not be sitting in the right spot, and then it would sound different. You could tell right. one was on cam and one was not. But since I stand yeah. in the same place now, very easy to get pickup shots. Even if I just do the voice, I just stand where I did the filming and speak into the mic, and it usually sounds basically the same. And it's yeah. really easy to make changes and fixes that way. That's been a... Just finding ways to optimize the workflow. I think you guys have done this kind of stuff as well. Just getting all the hardware in place, all the gear ready mm-hmm. in a way that it's easy enough to just like do the stuff you need. My only yeah. limitation is 
I don't have like a dedicated filming space for mm-hmm. like B-roll shots. I just don't have the room for it in the house. So I have to pull out the slider and the camera and all that stuff and set up the lights uh, every time I want to do it now. And yeah. that is a li- so I basically have to dedicate a day to like B-roll shooting. Mm-hmm. And then for pickup shots, I'll just do like sim- more simplistic shots that are easier to set up. Like maybe don't get the slider out, for instance, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of that's the way I go on that. I mean, it's, I feel like for for like a time as a time management thing, I feel like there's something to be said for having like a sort of a release schedule. You yeah. know, like if you're saying, you know, I'm I'm releasing a video every week, you know, or you're like Joe and it's like every, you know, midnight Sunday morning, every other midnight I'm releasing something, then at least you're you're giving yourself a deadline. Yeah. And I mean, exactly. I know I don't do that at all. I just release videos whenever and I think that makes it really easy to procrastinate because like it yes. doesn't really matter, but I think it's also hard cuz like, you know, I don't I don't do this as a job really. Yeah, and exactly. So I can't, that's it's a big difference. Yeah, but so I'm saying I can't go tell anybody, "Oh yeah, I can't do this thing you want me to do cuz I have to work on this video." Cuz it's like, "Well, no you don't. You don't actually have to do that <laughs> exactly. at all." It's like, "Well, true." So yeah, I think in in your kind of case that makes perfect sense, right? It's not yeah. your main job, and you don't have a release schedule. And yeah, but I'm saying I would easy I, to keep. I would keep like pushing to. stuff back, right? But I don't want to do that. That's the problem. Oh, okay. I, I want to. I would like to be releasing things more often, but it's hard to pri- when you. I think you have to have I think priorities. The way to do that life, then you know? is to set up a release schedule that's not aggressive at first, like say yeah. once a month. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you want to get something out and then start figuring out like okay, I can do this amount of stuff even with other stuff going on and I can get this down in a month and then you kind of, you know, figure it out from speed there. Speed it up. And start to speed it up, find yeah. a good format for it. Because yeah. when you don't have a time limit, it's very easy to just, like, go crazy with stuff and, like, keep adding things or, you know, delaying things. Say, oh, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that part. I'll get to it sometime. And then you never want to get to it. And then it's another month later and you're just like... That's the- that's something I struggle with a lot is when there's certain certain things that I like I just I don't want to record this specific game or I don't want to like shoot this get this thing out to shoot it. It's like I keep on pushing it off, pushing it off, and then you know eventually yep. you get to the point where you just need to turn off your brain and like I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it right now. I'm not going to like it, and I'm just going to get it done. I've but had yeah, that happen, good but... though. It's good to have like an idea of like yeah. maybe maybe like the first Monday of a month or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, Use that as like your initial like release schedule. Sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. You know, you talk about like, oh, I don't want to record footage for this game or whatever. Uh, you know, I've had it be the case. Like, like with that PlayStation in 1995 video that I did, there was like one game that I just like. I played it for like a few minutes, and I was like, oh, I don't like this game at all. What was and, it? <laughs> uh, I f- I forgot. I can't remember what it's called. It's like it a, a. It was a loaded. No, I love Loaded. Are you kidding me? No, it was like a first-person like mech game. Is it Kalik the Blood or Kalik no. the DNA Imperative? Was it a no. Crazy Ivan? No, it was not crazy any Evo. of those things. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember the name wow. of it, but it's too bad because the whole point was that when I finally sat down and played it, I was like, whoa, this is actually a really fun game. It's just like it takes a little bit of time to get into it, you know? So Yeah. Because I had even already written a little segment, you know, because I don't do – they're not reviews – they're just little showcases. No. Here's what this game's all about. And I'd kind of written that being like, yeah, this game blows. I didn't say that, but I was just like, <laughs> I thought this game was wholly uninteresting. But because I waited until the end 
so that I had nothing else to even do. I'm like, well, I, I can kind of focus on this game a little bit. And I was completely wrong about about the game. <laughs> so you, you know? go back and rewrite it. So I, I had actually, to. Yeah, it's interesting talk. So I think for our videos, all of us, we always film and record footage for that video, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes reuse B-roll or whatever. But I've noticed that some some YouTube channels that do retro stuff, I won't name them, but uh. <laughs> They they rely almost exclusively on clips from other channels. Yes, and they do they they put the you know here's the source at the bottom, but the problem that that creates is that it means that all the footage winds up looking really uneven. Yeah, yeah. right. And you have all different video qualities throughout the video, different aspect ratios. Some the, sometimes the frame rate's different. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not recorded at the right frame rate. Sometimes all it's this filtered. Stuff, and, sometimes it's not. Right. Sometimes it's filtered. Yeah. Sometimes it's not. And you just end up with this crazy inconsistency and just lack of authenticity. And then yeah. for some reason, like I understand why people would do that. Not everybody has all the stuff set up, but it just, I don't know. That That's something that always irked me a little bit because it kind of, well, it irks robs. me a lot. Actually. Yeah. yeah. It's not, yeah. there's nothing a little bit about it. It's well, not you, the main, huh? it's not the main reason, but it's one of the reasons I use those overlays is like, it makes oh. it really difficult to lift my game. Yeah. I mean, that's not why I, so I shouldn't even say it's one of the reasons. It's it's a nice side effect of me using those <laughs> oh, overlays. Yeah. Is if somebody steals my footage, it's going to be super obvious, and it's yeah. going to make their video look weird because mm-hmm. you're going to yeah. have some footage with this overlay and others that don't. I also, just worried, think it looks better. Worried with about the overlay, that so. myself because with the way I edit the videos, you know, it's changing clips enough where I feel like it's tough to just lift lift raw footage from it. It, it yeah. take so it more be, time to find uh, right like you know, things that you want to, you want to show specifically like another, then there's like the frame rate graph stuff. And it's like, you know what, if somebody wants to grab clips of the frame rate stuff and I've had people ask me like, Hey, can I use some clips of this stuff? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. I don't, I don't care. You know what? What you should do is just befriend a guy who has like a gigantic, uh, NAS in his house that you can (laughs) FTP to who just has lots of gameplay footage on it. Yeah. That's (laughs) what I did. That is the way. Yeah. Gigantic NAS is the future. Yeah. <laughs> that stuff, that actually is, that is something I only started, like, before you really kicked it into high gear last year, I guess it was, it feels like, where it was mm-hmm. like, uh, I actually started to use it a few times, and it is actually super useful for, like, if you mention a game and you've got, like, literally, like, you need, like, a five-second clip, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, no. You don't want to set up all the capture stuff just for five seconds of something. Going right. to the NAS is such a huge time saver. Mm-hmm. That is actually a case where I would use footage from there. And I also trust that the footage on there is of good quality as well, mm-hmm. which is really important. It's not the inconsistent stuff, right? Right. Uh, I, li- I, I love this idea of building like a repository of clips that are all done in a consistent fashion at a certain level of quality mm-hmm. that is actually very cool yeah it, it's it saves time for sure we could be like the getty images of of yes. gameplay footage. footage yeah it's, i exactly. feel so it's bad a... i can't remember the name of that game that's driving me nuts but i'm not going to look it up for you it know, was it was it disruptor no disruptor is awesome dude <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, if I look at my playstation games over there would have been a long yeah, box could... game yeah po'd no I like PO'd. 
Because I even I talked about I did that sort of like post game or post whatever video later on just, on my side channel, and there was a big art article about it in the magazine I was reading, and I was talking about how much I liked that game, and it was like a perfect like rainy day game. It's a really cool game. Wild it's stuff. first. It's a first. Per, you're you're in like a mech, and it's first person perspective. You can you have like three different modes the mech can be in. And you're inside like the space station, and it's almost got like a survival horror aspect to it. I mean, that sounds like Killik the Blood. Um, uh, yeah, that, yes, but it sounds not. a lot not because Killik doesn't no. have those. And that was a moves. launch. That was a launch game. So that's that a was a launch video. game. Yeah, yeah. This was a uh, different. God, it's like I got it in my in my head too of what it could be. I need to look this up afterward, but not for the show. <laughs> well, I'll look it up here. when we stop recording. I'll look it up real quick. But I'm, just, I'm <laughs> not going to break. Yeah. I'm not going to break the rules, and then I'll tell everybody else at the beginning of the next episode so that they don't get driven crazy. <laughs> exactly. We should probably start wrapping up, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we should. Yes. Speaking of time limits, so uh, uh, you've been listening to episode 18, the barely legal episode of. <laughs> Ooh. Oh God! Uh, of here's my question for you. Uh, our guest has been John Linneman from Digital Foundry, and uh, if you like to take a minute and tell people where to find you, you can. Or if you don't want to, we won't take it first. I mean, just find me at go to digitalfoundry.net. Yeah. Check yeah. out our YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, should be easy to find. We're there. We do stuff. Some people like this stuff. Some people get mad about it. You know, it is what it is, but it's there. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for doing this. Uh, yeah. yeah thank fun. you very much. All and, right. Uh, yeah. We always we always end the shows as awkwardly as possible. So there's <laughs> yeah, not, we're, okay, really, we're really we don't good. Have, like can, a sign I can off stop or, recording right now. Yeah, uh, you could if you wanted to. I'm probably going to stop in a minute. So everybody, everybody out there, have a good week and uh, uh, happy happy President's Day if you're. If you're in the United States and oh yeah, I'm not happy so going to work while some of us get to stay home day. If you're uh, if you're not, so there you go. <laughs> wow, yeah. All right, all right. Bye bye. Bye.